And then I think at the highest level, those who have the most money, money is power and control. And those are the ones that are deciding how capitalism in our country works. They're deciding how democracy in our country works. And I think if we can shift the way wealth is in our country and in our society, more people would benefit from it. Welcome back to the Tea Please podcast and welcome to a brand new week. I'm your host, Sarah. This week, we're bringing you a guest who is going to spill the tea on money, money, finances, our relationship with money. We get into a lot of different topics and the clip that you just heard was from our guest, Jen Ewan. She is a financial mentor, advocate, and founder of The Plagettes, which is an online community, and they also have in-person events, you know, if COVID wasn't a thing. Um, But it's this community where the whole goal is to help women not feel alone with their personal financial goals. So it's a place where you can go and ask questions about money, about how to manage your finances, all that good stuff. She really wanted to create a space that made financial experts more accessible, and that's exactly what she does. So take a listen, and if you're interested, check her out after the show. In this episode, I spill some tea on some of my financial confessions. So this isn't a scary conversation. It's meant to be uplifting and it's meant to be informative. So, you know, you're not alone if you don't really know what you're doing or have some questions about your finances. We all do. And I definitely do. I also just want to say that this episode was already planned for this week because I did a poll on my Instagram stories last week and you guys wanted the hormone episode first and then I said we were going to do the money talk episode. So this was already planned and then the whole GameStop thing blew up last week. So I think it's a super timely episode if maybe you were kind of pulled into the drama with GameStop and the stock market and all of that and, you know, started thinking about your own finances, then, you know, this episode is really going to be for you. So I'm excited that the timing really worked out for this. And I just love that little synchronicity. Some very interesting stuff has been happening with GameStop and the stock market and all of that. So if you've been following along, let me know your thoughts. Find me on Instagram, DM me, comment on anything. I'm just curious what you think. Okay, I want to tell you about an app that I use that saves me money. I talk about this app a little bit in my conversation with Jen in this episode. I would totally recommend this to anyone because it's out of sight, out of mind. You don't really have to do anything. You can set it and forget it, and it saves money for you. So it's a win-win. Jen mentions in this episode, like, it can't be the only thing that you do to invest and, and grow your wealth, but it can definitely get you started. Anyway, the app is called Acorns, which I just love the illustration of that because it's like squirrels that are collecting acorns and like building up their collection or whatever they do for hibernation or I don't really know what squirrels do, but I'm pretty sure it's a squirrel motif in there. Anyway, it's called Acorns and you can set different settings. I have mine set to put $5 into my investing account every Sunday and then every purchase that I make with my card that it's linked to, it rounds up to the nearest dollar and then it takes those roundups and invests those for me as well. So it's a really small amount, so it's not something that I notice in my day-to-day or I don't think that I'm you know, spending more or having less in my bank account because it's such small numbers to start. But, you know, the small numbers add up over time. So if you have a smartphone, I don't know what you're doing in 2021 if you don't have a smartphone, but it's called Acorns. Check it out. Okay, okay. Let's get into it with Jen and start the money talk. 
Okay, so I first wanted to ask you about what the Pledgeettes is, because the way that I see it, it's this online community of women learning about money. And that's kind of my description of what I see, but I'm curious how you would describe what it is that that group is. First, I love that you answered because it is fascinating to me, like what other people say about my business. And it's also a lot more fun to hear other people talk about it than me just saying it on repeat. And you're totally right. The Pledgeettes is a community for women to talk about money. Our members are there to set ambitious money goals, clarify their goals, and increase their confidence to take the steps to achieve those goals. So we talk about every money topic that's out there, um, everything from budgeting to impact investing to tax planning, estate planning. We talked funeral planning last month, but we also talk about the emotional side of money with money mindset, money archetypes, the woo of money in your business. Everything in a way is kind of a money topic. So it gives us a lot of freedom and flexibility to bring in diverse voices and backgrounds to talk about money. I love it. I saw it and I was like, I need this group. I need to learn about money because <laughs> when we had our like first intro call, I was like, yeah, I'm 28 and I just got my first credit card and I have to like pay for it because they don't trust you, you know? So yeah, that was just like a big eye-opening moment of like, wow, okay, I really don't really know how to manage my finances that well. Like, I think I'm good with my money with what I have, but I, I think there's more that I could do with it. So the concept of like learning from people who maybe are in the same boat was really appealing to me. I heard you say the woo of money. <laughs> that intrigues me. <laughs> what does that mean? So I'm going to actually ask you a question. What is your first memory of money? Mm, this is like nothing related to spending at all, but I remember collecting state quarters. Yes. Okay. That's an awesome money memory. So I think with all the times that I ask, people this question and listeners, I hope you've identified one of these first money memories for you is that oftentimes it evolves, involves another person. They need to kind of introduce us to the concept of money. So maybe like your parents or sibling gave you the book to collect the quarters. Yeah, totally had a book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then it also sparks an emotion or involves an emotion. So like, what did it feel like to collect quarters from all the states? I loved it. I mean, I still love when little kids collect things or find rocks that they think are special. So that same type of mentality was these quarters for me, especially for those like hard to find states like Hawaii or something. I was like, yes, I, especially if they were shiny, like I wanted the mint condition, like the new ones. I did not want any like rusty old quarters. They needed to be pristine. <laughs> I love it. So with this, like we kind of can reflect on all of these different money experiences we have all the way back from our first money memory and then highlighting a few of them along the way. And all of those experiences build our money mindset, which is our beliefs, our attitudes, our judgments, our feelings about money. So I think you have to get woo about money. And I think that's one thing that so many financial literacy programs out there miss because if we don't understand how we feel emotionally about money, we're going to have a really hard time with the financial side of money because there are some great investments out there that might give you the highest ROI and it might be the very best thing for you to do with your money to make the most money. But 
if it's a risky investment and it's going to stress you out, it's going to keep you up at night, it's going to impact your health, you're either going to stress eat or not eat, then it's not the right money move for you. And so I think what's so important with money for everyone is to find those opportunities where the emotional side of money and the financial side of money both click and both work for you personally. And that's how you should be creating your wealth or improving your relationship with money is to just keep finding those opportunities where both works emotionally and financially. Okay. So the woo is like the emotional side, like of how you feel about money and maybe where that's come from. A similar mentality that I've noticed that I'm older and that I I can do more things with my money, that like collection that's really interesting that I noticed that. And that's why I didn't have a credit card for so long. Cause I was like, no, like this is what I have. And I'm, this is it. Like, I just, I'm going to keep building this over here the way that I know how and feeling like protective over that of like, this is my collection of money. That's interesting. I've never, ever thought about how money was introduced to me before. Yeah. It's, it is fascinating. And I think you know, even after we finish this conversation, if you think of like another time or another money memory, share those with me because I love hearing what people remember about money from their childhood. I think that money memory is interesting too because you've also shared that you didn't get your first credit card until age 28, which is not uncommon. So there's a, a money question I like to ask people is do you use cash, credit, or debit most often? And what I'm seeing with a lot of women in their 20s especially, is that they're using their debit card more and they're not getting credit cards. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes around a lot of fear of we've heard so many negative stories about going into credit card debt and using credit cards irresponsibly or getting in trouble with credit cards. And there's a lot of fear and negativity around credit cards. We might know somebody who got into credit card debt or we might just have this fear from whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that if you want to build intergenerational wealth, if you want to retire, if you have big financial goals, there are benefits to having a credit card because your credit card is building up your credit history to give you a higher credit score. So you kind of mentioned like there were some hoops you had to jump through to get your first credit card. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, once you start getting into the credit, then if you want to get a car loan or get a mortgage to buy a house or take out a, a business loan to start or grow your business, you're going to need a strong credit score because that's how you're going to get the greatest benefits, the best terms, the best rates. I have learned this because <laughs> me and my fiance are house shopping right now and I can't be on the mortgage. Oh. <laughs> so like, if you, so now we have like jokes going because we're getting married in May. So, you know, I obviously we're not expecting to ever separate or anything like that, but um, we got a dog like a few years ago when we were still dating and he's, I like made sure that the dog was under my name. So I'm like, okay, I have the dog. And if you have the house then we're going to have like a showdown when, if something ever happens, because I can't be on the mortgage because I didn't have any credit. But is, is that kind of a fair split? Like he gets the house and you get the dog. I think so. Yes. The attachment <laughs> is there. Like, yes, that is my only leverage. And it's significant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think like this is, 
you're going to learn money lessons. And if you can take a proactive approach to learning those money lessons and being ready when new opportunities come to you, like buying a house, it's only going to help you. Credit scores are like a whole nother thing that I am obviously just learning about what that means and how to build it correctly. But yeah, I think the beliefs around money is a really big, a really big thing that we don't think about um, that often. That was another thing that I was going to tell you because you were like asking about money memories. And the only other one that comes to my mind that's really significant was when I was in my tweens and like phones were coming out. I was a phone hoarder, like not, not even a hoarder, but I would just get new ones literally every six months for like five years. I would spend all of my money on phones. I would just buy new phones. And maybe that's why my parents got concerned and like, didn't tell me really about credit cards. Cause they were like, you're going to go crazy with phones if you buy them. But that was the other thing where I was like a little looser with spending and I wasn't saving. It wasn't that like collection mentality. It was more just like, I wanted the next best thing. And I just spent, I literally spent so much money on new phones and now they're like way more expensive, but man, yeah, I had all of them, like the razors, the blackberries. I had like every single version. Oh my gosh. I had a razor. I had a couple blackberries and I think it was at that time where like the phone companies would give you these sweet deals, but you were paying for it somewhere. And so I actually like now that there isn't so much like sign up with us and get a new phone or like every six months or every two years you get a new phone, like just buy what you need and use it. Yeah. I mean, that's a big life lesson right there. (laughs) Buy what you need and then use it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. So what is maybe something that you had to unlearn in regards to money and, and how you engaged with it? Yeah. I grew up in a family that openly talked about money And I appreciate my parents so much with that. One money lesson that I'm trying to unlearn is I have this money narrative that making money is hard. My mom is a hard worker and has been her whole life. And it's something I love about her and totally admire about her. And I think now when I look at other women entrepreneurs and they talk about growing their business with ease or when I hear people go woo woo with money and they're like, money's energy, it just flows to you. Like just let your money flow. I get really upset because I'm like, oh no, 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 no. My mom told me that making money is hard. So don't tell me that growing a business is easy. (laughs) Yeah, I totally have that too. I think a lot of people do. I mean, there's hard earned money is a thing like in our vocabulary that we hear often. So, okay, cool. Like what do you... What would you like to unlearn about that concept? I don't think that it has to be hard to make money. I was listening to this economist and we're going to go kind of super macro here, but I'll come back to it. it. And what he was saying is kind of our America has capitalism, but it's not true capitalism because there are a lot of checks and balances and there's government support and some industries are too big to fail. But capitalism gets broken when too many people take what they haven't earned. And so I think there's there's something to be said about that. And I'm fearful of becoming one of those persons who takes what I haven't earned or like just all of a sudden gets all this free money for nothing. But what I want to be is a smart entrepreneur that has a smart business idea, has a great business model, is providing a lot of value to my members, clients, customers. I'm making smart financial investments. And I 
I do get rewarded for that. Money does come to me for that. What do you mean by people getting more than they have earned? What's an example of that? A Ponzi scheme is a great example of that. You know, where... Like a pyramid scheme or marketing, multi-level marketing. Is that what you're talking about? An MLM could be, yes. Yes. Because the people at the top are not out there selling the products. It's people like... 10 levels down that are selling the products that are making a small margin. And then there's people at the top who think that they should just get half a million dollars every month sitting back in their beach house when somebody else is actually doing a lot of the work. I mean, it sounds nice, but not morally. (laughs) Right. Like that to me just doesn't seem like a good relationship with money or, you know, I think some Investors who take huge risks, like people three, five years ago who were investing a lot in cryptocurrency, some of them made a lot of money. Loan sharks who are charging, you know, 136% on a paycheck loan. Like, you know, somebody who's going to get a paycheck loan is not going to be able to pay a loan back if the interest is at 136%. You're charging them more than they've actually lended from you. How do you think this person is going to pay you back? So I think there's like some predatory stuff of like, you know, if a loan shark is or a payday loan company is like, but that's our business model. Like they have the choice to come to us. And it's like, come on, you shouldn't be able to. Do you watch Shark Tank? Yes. Do you think some of those deals are predatory? I don't know. So the deal that they do on TV is a TV show. They can always like go back and yeah, because they don't really have any details when they're saying that on camera. Right. So like they make a deal for a TV show. And then I think then they go through due diligence. And so whenever you're investing a business in a business or buying a business, you go through due diligence where you look at all their financials and you look at all their books and you're like, okay, well, everything you said is accurate and true or we're going to change the terms or the deal in one way or another. I think it probably would look different if it wasn't a TV show. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of, you know, you see people that go on Shark Tank for the marketing opportunity and they're not really trying to get a deal. And I love that the sharks call them out on that now. (laughs) Yeah. They've totally started doing that in the most recent seasons. (laughs) They're like, here's your commercial. See you later. But I think like that's a way to scale a business. Like there's a lot of ways to scale a business and going out and getting investors is certainly one of them. And if you want somebody who is a venture capitalist investing in your business, and they're going to turn around and take your business from 1 million to 25 million in a year, it may be worth giving up 10, 20, 30% of your company, as long as you know what you're doing and what you're getting into. And that's why the deals actually close months later. I just always think about Kevin's royalty deals. And I'm like, especially when I feel like they don't always love the product, but they see an opportunity to for them to make money. Yeah. I was just curious your thoughts on that, but I love that show regardless. I love the show too. <laughs> so good. And I, I love, like, I think that is one way that people can learn. Like we can learn through podcasts, TV shows, books, attending events, having money conversations. Like there's so much ways for you to learn and to increase your financial literacy. Uh, I think it's important to always understand the context of whatever you're getting told. So, you know, if I ask a realtor and a financial advisor, what's the best way to build wealth? 
the realtor is probably going to tell me invest in real estate for these reasons. And the financial advisor is going to tell me put max out your retirement accounts for these reasons. And both of them have merit and both of them are good, but ultimately like you have to figure out what's best for you. So get a bunch of different perspectives, understand the lens that they're sharing their financial advice and then make the best choice for yourself. And I think Sarah, like what you learned too is like start early, learn, learn as much as you can early on because there are some basic financial concepts like compound interest. The longer money is just building upon itself, the more mm-hmm. money you'll have in the end. Or um, another one of my favorite money sayings is that time in the market beats timing the market. So if your first job right out of college, there's a 401k at your company, do at least the company match and try to give as much as you can. Because if your money can sit in the market for 50 years, that will outperform if you start to be a day trader and you start beating the market by buying, buying high, selling low. Because when you, when you buy and sell, you have to be right twice. You have to buy at the right time and you have to sell at the right time. Where if you mm-hmm. just start investing early and just let it sit there and of course pay attention to it, definitely review it a few times a year. But in general, time in the market will always outperform trying to time that market. It's a lower risk to to put your money in an account that is growing even just a little bit year over year. My fiance got me on um, Acorns, the app. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I'm... Um, Building money that way, which I think it's great. I don't ever think about it. And you can do that like roundup feature where it will just add into your account um, based on like anytime you use your debit card or whatever. So that's been helpful. Not like a super risky way to do anything with your money, but it's a little something and definitely a learning opportunity because it is low risk. It's like an app that sets it all up for you. So it's fun to kind of watch that go up (laughs) over every few months. I'll check it. Yeah, there's so much cool stuff happening in fintech with all of these new financial apps i think there's there's so many out there that you can find one that works for you i think acorns is great like just round up everything and just put that Mm -hmm. those few cents in an investment account and then over 40 years it's going to grow that shouldn't be the only investing that you're doing but if that gets you started that's awesome. And that's the biggest thing is like you just have to start. Like you have to let go mm-hmm. of a dollar to build wealth because if you save your money in a savings account at a global bank, you're probably making 0.01% interest on your money. The stock market will return on average 7% per year. There's high interest savings accounts that were up to about 2% annually. The housing market in Denver is growing insanely fast at like 15% year over year. So when you look at like 0.01%, 2%, 7%, 15%, like your savings account isn't going to get you to retire. You got to do a little bit more than that, unfortunately. Got to do a little bit more than that. No. Fortunately, you get the opportunity to do more than that. <laughs> I know. So what's your favorite way to invest? So this is not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor, but this is my path. My favorite thing is to 
Create a big, crazy, audacious financial goal. And if you're struggling with what you want that to be, my favorite question that can help you is what would you do if you won the lottery? Do you know, Sarah? Well, I would definitely buy a house <laughs> because we are in Colorado trying to buy a house. Yeah, I would buy my dream house and invest in my business that I'm trying to start. That's definitely what I would do. I love it. And you're not trying to start it. You're starting a business. It's happening. It's happening. Actively. <laughs> so that idea of like what you would do if you won the lottery is great to build big financial goals. So for me, my big goal that I'm working towards is I want to be financially independent by 2026. And what that means for me, because you also get to set your own definition of success with everything. So that to me means that yeah. I get to choose work projects without compensation being a major factor. So I'm still going to work in 2026 and beyond, um, but compensation and money won't be as much of a factor in the projects that I choose. And the way that I'm going to do that is um, my partner and I, we have what is called your needs budget, or sometimes people call it your ramen budget. Um, but what's like the bare minimum that you need to just meet your monthly expenses. And so we want to have that covered by um, recurring income coming from real estate investments that we have. And three years ago, we bought our first house here in Denver and we were traveling at the time. So we put it up on Airbnb and rented it out. And then we did a long-term lease with somebody who's been there for three and a half years. And that's been really great. We converted my old 401k into a self-directed IRA and bought a condo with that. And we inherited a tenant who had lived there for nine years before we bought it. And we hope he's going to live there forever. He's awesome. So we've got two pieces of real estate right now. We've also bought and sold some other stuff and are looking. Um, we also own a couple businesses. And then we have some money in the stock market. So we have pretty diversified ways of building wealth. And for us, our retirement accounts is more like a long range thing where the real estate is paying us monthly. And so that's hopefully how we can get to financial independence by 2026. I'm rooting for you. Thank you. We're interested in doing rentals eventually too, but you know, we gotta, gotta get something first and it is like crazy out there right now in the housing market in Denver. So we'll see, but yeah, real estate is from the little that I do know is a good way to flip that, especially since Airbnb is such a big thing now. It is. And I think it's just whenever you look at any type of investment, make sure you understand your numbers um, and everything that goes into that investment. For example, here in Denver, the Airbnb rules are, um, it has to be your primary residence. So when we were renting out on Airbnb, we were traveling in our Airstream travel trailer at the time. So that was our primary residence. And then we just travel whenever anybody rented it out. That's awesome. Which worked for us. Yeah. And then we switched it to a long-term rental, which is over 30 days. And we have people there on a month to month basis. But I think there was like this boom I was definitely seeing a few years ago where uh, people were trying to sell real estate at the valuation of how much you could make on Airbnb. And to me, that was kind of a risky investment or a riskier way to look at the numbers because if any of the local laws change and don't allow Airbnb or put extra restrictions or extra fees or extra taxes 
on Airbnbs, then are your numbers still going to work? So I think just with anything, like keep doing research, there's awesome stuff out there and a lot of ways to learn and make the best choice for you. But also remember, like nothing is permanent. So while we were on Airbnb, then it didn't make sense for us to be on Airbnb again. So we went long-term rental. And I think after our current tenants move out, we'll probably move back into the house for a while and then figure out what's next. So also just have you have options. Yeah, like I think having investments that give you options is important. But that's also just my personal strategy. So again, yeah, there's like a million ways to do everything. Totally. You touched on one misconception of that you don't think money should be hard to make. Are there any other misconceptions about money that you like run into often or feel that people are really stuck to? Yes, so many. I think there are so many money narratives out there. And so often, like they're with good intentions, right? Like they're meant to keep us safe and not take on a bunch of risk. But again, you can't retire if you don't take on some risk. I love hearing what people's money narratives are that they grew up with. One that I think a lot of people hear is that money is the root of all evil. And it's actually like the Bible verse is the love of money is the root of all evil. So like even that has evolved. God will provide is another that I hear a lot. Rich people are greedy. And so I think there's a lot of money narratives out there that you have to kind of say like, what have I been taught? What have I been told? And is there truth in that? Does it serve me to hold on to that belief? Or is it time to to evolve. Like when COVID first hit and the stock market was super volatile, one of our members has a money mantra where she says, I'm a long-term investor. So that just like kept her feet under her, her head clear where she's like, yeah, I know the market's going to go up and down, but like she wasn't planning on taking that money out of the market the next day or in five years or in 10 years, like that money's going to sit in there for 40 years And I guess not sitting there, it's going to work for her in the market for 40 years. And we're going to see market events like in recent history, every 10 years, we get a market event that makes the stock market go up and down and do crazy things. Mm -hmm. COVID this year, 2008, it was the housing crash. 2001, it was September 11th, where the stock market was closed for five days. So I think it's just, again, like get these money mantras that you believe or that you want to believe to just evolve your relationship with money and to get rid of some of these misconceptions or these money narratives that aren't serving you. Cause there is no one way there's a million different ways and same with like how you want to rewrite that narrative. So I like the piece of advice of like, just evaluate it, just like pay attention to it. Cause it's probably been a while since we've all thought of it. Um, if you're not like actively learning about this stuff. Cause I know that I, that does not come naturally to me. I'm not going to be like scrolling my phone at night, trying to learn about my finances. So, but my fiance does. So, you know, some people do. <laughs> and Sarah, like, I think here's what's so awesome to remember is that nobody was born with financial literacy. Everybody who has it learned it and you look around and you're like, if they can learn it, I can learn it too. If I can learn it, you can learn it too. Like it's just making that intention, taking action to learn about money. And then once you start to do it, it's so much fun. And you realize that at its basic level, if you have a dollar, money is choice. 
You get to save it, spend it, donate it, invest it, hopefully not burn it or lose it. And then at the next level, like as you begin to build wealth and your needs are met, money gives you freedom and flexibility. And so you can take more risks. You can take time off of work to start a family or launch a business or go back to school or whatever you want to do. And then I think at the highest level, those who have the most money, money is power and control. And those are the ones that are deciding how capitalism in our country works. They're deciding how democracy in our country works. And I think if we can shift the way wealth is in our country and in our society, more people would benefit from it. We need more good people to care about their money so we can make better change. Yeah. I mean, there's statistics that women use their money by reinvesting back into the community. They invest in their kids, in their school, they shop local businesses, they use their money back in the community. And so if we can get more money in the hands of women, I think we can have stronger, better communities. We have a great life now. I'm very blessed. I love, I love my life. Oh yeah. But I constantly think we can do better. I think I can do better on everything and anything. So let's try. What do you think the biggest difference is between how men and women view money? You kind of touched on it a little bit there, but yeah. Um, so Sally Krawcheck is the founder of Elevest, uh, which is a robo advisor that is uh, tailored to women. The way she described it was the best way I've heard it is that parents generally talk to their daughters about money like it's a pond. It's a scarce resource. Be a good budgeter. Be a good saver. Don't splurge. Don't indulge. And parents talk to their sons about money more like it's a river. Use your money to make more money. Take some risks. Money's free-flowing. Money goes in. Money goes out. I'm fortunate, as I shared in the beginning, like I grew up in a family that openly talked about money. And my parents did a great job of talking to my brothers, my sisters, and I all the same about money. Like it is a river. You know, we learn about money primarily from our moms who learned about money from our grandmas who learned about money from our great grandmas. And they did the best they could. They taught us Mm -hmm. what they knew. But now there is so much opportunity to learn more, to do better. And our economies and our financial systems are changing so fast that we can't have the same financial plan as our parents. It's not as easy to buy a house as it was for our parents. The stock market is a whole different beast than it was for our parents. There are so many new alternative investments of peer-to-peer lending and cryptocurrency and microloans and investing in businesses and having a business. And we're at a great time where like, there's so much access to information that we can get. And there's so many more opportunities um, that you just, you have to take an active role. Yeah. I feel like that's a really key point. (laughs) (laughs) Did we say it enough on this podcast? (laughs) Yeah. And I know that's something I mentioned when I first talked to you too, of like realizing that that is kind of my responsibility, not kind of, it's definitely my responsibility. And that's what my parents told me when I went to them and was like, why the heck did you guys not teach me about this? And my mom was literally like, well, you didn't show any interest in it. And we would try and you would like not pay attention. And I was like, okay, yeah. So yeah, and now I'm like older and I want to be smart and wise with my financial situation. And I do have to like actively pay attention to that and, you know, have those conversations and welcome advice and 
education on it when I really would not choose to engage with it. I still like, man, you're making it sound more exciting to me, but I'm just not someone who gets super jazzed about talking about financials, (laughs) but I'm getting there. It's awesome that you are on a path to home ownership. And I think that's going to make you more excited about learning about it and understanding and participating in it. Like there's a Chinese proverb, the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. So I think like for everyone who's listening, just do one thing today to take an active role in your finances. Just Start a money conversation with your friends, your partner, your family. Look at downloading a financial app that can help you increase your wealth in the smallest ways, or even a financial app that will just tell you where your money is. Just listen to a podcast, read a book, watch a YouTube video, attend an event. Just do one thing today to say, I'm going to take an active role in my finances. Yeah, there's a lot of good resources out there too. There's one book that I can't remember what the author is, but I know she has one. Her like main one that I have read is You Are a Badass. You know, I'm sure it's Jen Cicero. Sorry, Jen, if you're listening, I totally botched your name. But she has one about money too. Like specifically a book about money that I've heard is really good. You're a badass at making money. Yes. And the Pledgettes has a book club. I'm not a big book reader, so... One of our awesome members, Jesse, leads our book club. In December, we did a book club on Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin, which is a great book that's not like, that's not so much around this is the way to build wealth, follow these 10 steps. It's really about deciding the role that money plays in your life. And then last fall, we read By the Avocado Toast, which was all about paying off student debt. So there's a lot of cool books out there and you can find one that's for you and do something. Okay, cool. Well, I have just a few rapid fire questions that I like to ask all my guests at the end here. There's cool. just three of them. First one is, um, what is something that you do that makes you feel like your best self? Walk my dog. Mm, what kind of dog do you have? She, uh, my husband calls the breed small and cute but she is a rescue dog from New Mexico. Um, She's cattle dog, mini Aussie, border collie. Cute. I love small and cute. I have a five pound Yorkie Chihuahua named Rocket and he is that breed. Small and cute, it's the best. Small and cute, (laughs) yes. Okay, what do you do for inspiration when you're feeling uninspired? Okay, I um, walk the aisles of Target. I just, I, I, generally won't buy anything. I just walk up and down. I'll put stuff in the cart. I'll put it back. I mean, with COVID, I'm trying not to touch as much stuff or go out as much, but pre-COVID, I would walk the aisles of Target. I don't know how that started, but I think probably like there was a Target that I used to shop at that I didn't get cell reception in. And I think the idea of like not being attached to my phone and just moving for me gets me inspired. I actually love that. And I think it's really ironic that you said that because that was literally our activity last night was going to Target. (laughs) And we've never done that. Like, we don't do that. That is not our thing. And we were like, ooh, like, let's, we just got a bunch of random stuff that like little, little things that we needed. Um, But it was not like a whole trip and that we were just like so bored that we just went to Target and got like a candle and so just random stuff. So that's awesome. I think that's a great way to find inspiration. And the last one, what piece of advice do you have that if we all followed, we would all be better off? Oh, easy. Take an active role in your finances. Know where your money is. 
alignment to your goals, have a conversation, just do something that future you is going to thank you for. Love it. And where can we find you? How can we get involved with what you're doing with the Pledgettes or on anything else that you have to offer? Check, um, visit thepledgettes.com for information about our memberships. If you're not ready to commit to a membership, which I know you're ready, everyone is ready to join us. You can attend an event. You can purchase a ticket to a single event. Um, Find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I'm not as active on Facebook and Twitter, but all at the Pledgettes. And reach out to me if you want to have a 30-minute money conversation where you tell me what you would do if you won the lottery or what your first money memory is. Because any day that I get to have a money conversation is my favorite day. All right. So you heard it from Jen herself. Take an active role in your finances. If you want to get started right away, the Pledgets has some tools and resources and offers on their website now at thepledgets.com slash keep it going. So there's a few worksheets on there if you want to just do some self-reflection and, you know, have some guidance through a worksheet with that. If you are interested in a membership with the Pledgets, if you join now, you get your first month free as well. And there's also an Evolve Your Relationship with Money challenge on the website right now and it's totally free so check that out if you're interested thepledgeats.com slash keep it going link that in the show notes for you of course find me on instagram and let me know what you're doing to prepare for your future other than the acorns app but for real find me on instagram at the tea please podcast i like to keep the conversation going over there that's my plan anyway i want the podcast episodes to come out on monday and then i want to continue the conversation, whatever the topic is, and create some content for y'all over there. So please follow along and also share this podcast if you find someone who would benefit from it and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to show Apple that this is a legit podcast and to show it to more people. It really helps get the word out. So please consider leaving a five-star review and saying something nice. Okay, thanks. Bye. See you in the next episode.